serve. Take your Bibles, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 7. <clears throat> Excuse me. I also want to um, look in your bulletin. Um, there's lots going on, but there's a leadership class that's starting up in a couple of weeks uh, for, at 8 o'clock in the morning. If you'd like more information, you can go on our website. Uh, we'll have more details on Facebook about that and in the email this week. If you're not getting our weekly email little blurb that Natasha sends out from the office, uh, please contact the office and let them know that you're interested so you get that information. Um, this morning, I, I last week was in a message, uh, we're in the Old Testament, but we are in a season and a series that we've, we've been on called 40 Days of Transformation. And someone said to me recently, well, Pastor, no one can really change in 40 days. Um, I believe that change, a lot of change can happen in that window, and it's, it's important that you maintain or sustain uh, those life patterns that you develop. And that's why we have really encouraged prayer and fasting as some disciplines that we've been teaching. Uh, if you're not sure, maybe you're new to, to kind of jumping on the bandwagon with where we're going as a church, you can get on our website, uh, go to the resources page. You can get the whole thing as to why 40 days, what the weekly challenges have been, all for the last four weeks. And we're in that final week this week of 40 days, depending upon where you started. I know we had a snowstorm. Some people started a week late here or there. Uh, some people did a 21-day Daniel fast and are still doing some fasting here and there. But I really want to challenge you, and I believe that what the Holy Spirit started to speak to me during worship today uh, and just how the Lord was moving, that today's, today's an opportunity for response. And so uh, grab onto your Bibles, grab onto your seats, and we're going to we're going to begin to, to wrap up this journey, I hope, with a, a story from Samuel that really is a return to the altar of the Lord. And last week we talked about King Asa, and um, God bless you, King Asa and an Old Testament story with practical right now steps of action for you. And every time we, we present the word here at Centerpoint, I want to give you practical steps of action for your everyday life in the 21st century. And so today is no different than that. It is an Old Testament passage that really helps us to understand our spiritual weapons that overcome evil intentions. You need to realize and, and recognize that you are in a battle every day of your life and this, the enemy is out to steal, kill, and to destroy you. He's out to rob you of the progress you're trying to make with God. He wants to be a roadblock right in front. He wants to put up a wall in front of you. And many of you are really trying to move forward with God. And many of you are in, in some of the most intense battles of your life right now. And you're wondering why. Because you're really trying to move forward with God. And that is the reason why. You're really trying to make an intentional effort to pray, to fast, to focus, to seek the Lord. And when you do that, man, the spiritual battles just intensify. And here's what I hope during this 40 days. It's not just a, hey, I did my 40 days or I did my 21 days and it's all good. I'm good to go. I checked off the box. That is not at all what we're trying to help you to do. We're trying to help you to develop some lifestyle patterns that will shape your spiritual formation and your growth. God is not satisfied, and I don't think you're satisfied, to sit in a church week after week and to just hear a good message that challenges you. But you truly want change, which is the essence of of spiritual growth. Are you with me? There was an amen. Do you want to change? Husbands and all the wives can say amen. Do you want to change, men? All right. The essence of really growing spiritually is that there will be change. 
In your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 7, I'm not going to read through all 17 verses, but today's message is a return to the altar, and I came up, and, uh, and this is how the Lord moves, and I wasn't planning on this, but I said to Sean, we need to have an altar call today at the end, and I want you to be prepared to lead us into worship. So I'm going to let you know ahead of time, right now, get ready, the Holy Spirit is already tugging on some of you, you need to respond today. If you don't respond, don't call me at Tuesday for counseling. I need help, Pastor. Can you? No. No, I can't help you. You're beyond help. From me. You're beyond help from me. You're not, I know that's a little funny, but I'm being serious. You need the help of the Lord. You need the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life to transform you, to bring healing, to break the chains, to bring deliverance, to set you free. I don't know why I'm buzzing and popping. That's the enemy. We rebuke him in Jesus' name. Am I doing something wrong up here? Probably. It's usually me. All right. I'm going to give you a quick backdrop. First Samuel chapter 7. Take that in your Bibles and, and follow along. And let's, let's just ask the Lord to bless. God bless right now this service. We come against every distraction and every hindrance. In Jesus' name, we thank you for the testimonies of victory, of healing, of miracles that we have already heard. And we pray today, God, that you would continue to have your way in this service and in our midst. Lord, I, we invite your Holy Spirit to, to touch hearts and to transform lives. In Jesus' name, meet us today, we pray. Amen. First Samuel 7, there's a little backdrop. And in chapter 1, I'm going to give you a quick history. So like I said, you got to kind of... Stay with me today. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah gives birth to her son. His name is Samuel. This is where it starts. In Samuel chapter 2, the sin of Eli's son occurs. This is kind of the downward spiral. But in, in 1 Samuel 3, the Lord calls Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, the ark is, is captured by the Philistines. In chapter 5, the ark is destroyed by the idol Dagon. And in 1 Samuel chapter 6, the ark is too holy for Beth Shemesh. They say, oh, look, we don't want any part of that. The presence of God is beyond what we want. And you go, really? Listen, religious people in the church have done that today. 1 Samuel chapter 7 is the crisis and where the Lord intervenes. And this is where we pick up today. So I just gave you a whole history lesson on 1 Samuel. Did you get all that? You're like, uh, uh. all right. So what happens? Really... The presence chamber of God is known as the Ark of the Covenant. It's received at Beth Shemesh on a new cart in chapter 6, verse 7. The people of God are, they're frivolous, they're shouting, they're angry, and they're having, they've lost all sense of reverence for a holy God. I want you to, to realize and to, to make some correlations with the church in America today, because we've been on this journey discovering kind of this, this loss of the fear of God, this loss of the reverence of God and the sanctity of, of His holy place, the, the reverence of His presence in our lives. Many of us have offended the Holy Spirit because we've lost reverence of how we've lived our lives. This is real stuff, okay? And in, in chapter 6, verse 19, they open the ark with this frivolous attitude of irreverence. And 50,070 men are killed like that. If that doesn't strike the fear of God in you, I don't know what will. 
Play games with the presence of God. Take lightly the presence of God. Listen, this is where we need to have a holy, reverent fear of God in our life. This is not preached about a lot today because it's not popular. But the reality is you and I have, have far too often taken too lightly the presence of God in our lives. The holiness of God has been ignored and taken for granted in this Old Testament passage in chapter 6, verse 20. So the people of Beth Shemesh, they asked the people of Kirjasherim to come down and to take the ark off their hands. In chapter 6, verse 21, you can take it right there in your Bible. Come and take this ark. It's too much for us to bear the presence of God. So in verse 1. The Ark of the Covenant is retrieved. Now I'm in chapter 7 now. Verse 1. The Ark of the Covenant is retrieved and brought into the house of Abinadab. Eleazar was chosen to keep the Ark. Verse 2. From that day, the Ark was lodged at Kirjath Sharam. A long time passed, some 20 years. And the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of the presence of God. This is kind of where we're going today. The Philistines had defeated the Israelites and they, they took away the Ark of the Covenant. But now the Ark was kind of held up and stalled, if you will, at, at Benedict. 20 years. For 20 years, the Ark was in this little town on the border, just kind of held up there. For 20 years, understand this, Israel has been without the presence of God. And they lost many battles because of that. Pay attention today. Pay attention. Some people have been in so many, just this perpetual cycle of, of losing spiritual battles in their life. Because they lack tapping into the presence of God. Because we have turned our back on living in the fear of God and allowing His presence in our life. And this is a message for religious people, Christian people, okay? For 20 years, Israel had struggled with the old Adam. The old Adam, if you're not sure what that means, is your sinful nature and my sinful nature. For 20 years, Israel had suffered the oppression of the Philistines time and time and time again, losing Battle after battle after battle to the Philistines. And for 20 years, Israel was, was frustrated and they had lamented in their frustration. They were, woe is me. Because the glory of God had departed. Now, God restores what was lost. There's good news to this story. I set the table for you to understand what, what they had been through. And Samuel teaches us some incredibly valuable lessons for your life and mine today. And I pray that you will get this. Number one, if you're taking notes, the call to action. The call to action. Look at verse six. Samuel gives the call to arms. This is what he says. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, then put away. Say those two words, put away the foreign gods and the Asheroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only 
And he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. What was the call in verse 3? Put away the gods of Asheroth and Baal. Baal was the, the big time su supreme male god of that time. The uh, Ashtaroth was the supreme female god of the Canaanite nation. And Israel here is told to prepare their hearts so that you can make progress with God. Do you want to make progress with God? I want to make progress with God. Prepare your hearts, Israel. Idols and interference must be put away. What are the idols in your life? What are the things that interfere with you focusing and moving forward and paying attention to God? Some of you right now, you're with your phones and you're, you can't, this has been idle. And you're trying to pay attention to the service, but you're distracted. <gasps> Did he just say that? Listen, sometimes this becomes an idol. Sometimes food's an idol. Sometimes food's a distraction. That's, that's why we taught about the disciplines of fasting. I know this is really kind of deep stuff, but only a pure heart can move forward with God. Well, are you saying I'm supposed to be without sin, Pastor? No, none of us are without sin. But God knows the heart. He knows the intention of the heart. He knows if you are repentant of that sin and changing... Or if you're just living with it and accepting it because you don't have the faith to believe that God can set you free. That was good. You should write that down. I don't know if I'll be able to word that again that way. But some of you are still living with sin in your life because you don't have the faith to believe that God can set you free. And today is a day of stepping out in faith and believing that if he said it, I believe it. And that settles it, period. Repentance is necessary. We talked about that last week. But it's just the beginning of a dramatic internal change. The call of God in verse 3 is this. Put away the strange gods, prepare your heart and serve Him only. Put away everything strange that competes with God in your life. Anything that competes with God. Like I said, TV, food, your car, your job, your spouse, whatever it is. And I'm not saying get rid of your spouse. I'm saying put, put God in the right position, all right? Above that, above your love for them, above your love for others, above your love for anything needs to be God. Put away anything that drains God's presence from your life. There are energy suckers, and some of them are known as people. We call them the VDPs, right? We learned this in our staff training recently. The very depressing people. There are lots of VDPs out there. And then there are, there are lots of VIPs, very inspiring people. What drains the presence from God in your life? Put away whatever is questionable and God will meet you. At Mizpah is what we learn in this scripture. What is Mizpah? We're going to learn that. How did God's people answer the call? Look at verse 4. And the children of Israel put away Balaam and Asherah, and they served the Lord only. They put away. That means they got rid of the distractions. Some of us need to do some house cleaning. Get rid of things in our life, in our spirit, in our mind, in our emotions that distract us or that hinder or impede our progress with God. The response was simply an immediate, yes, God. An immediate yes to the preaching of Samuel. Immediate yes to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And not a, well, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Some things you don't need to pray about, you just need to do them. 
couple of you are weak. An immediate yes to prepare for the next step. So there was call to action. Number two, there was a confession from the heart. What did Samuel do when the congregation agreed with God? Verse 5, they all gathered at Mizpah. Samuel had a burden for the entire congregation. Mizpah was the, the usual place where Israel would go to experience the presence of God. See that? It's waking you up. Mizpah was where Israel would gather, the usual place. Listen, this is where we usually gather weekly to celebrate what God's done and what He's doing in our life. It's where we gather to celebrate miracles and we gather to hear testimonies. It's where we gather to encounter God together as a corporate and as a collective body. We've been praying, we've been focusing, many have been fasting and seeking God because we are hungry for a genuine, a real outpouring of God's Holy Spirit in this place, in this church, which is you as an individual, right? So that we can make a difference in our world. Judges chapter 10, verse 17 and 11 and 20, they all talk about this whole Mizpah that we're talking about. It was a definable location where they gathered together, where they assembled together. It was a place to seek the Lord and believe God to meet us face to face. It was a corporate gathering that would unite our spiritual weapons. When you hear a testimony like Misty shared this morning and she came over to me and I was, it was funny how the Lord is moving. Zach came down and Pastor Zach, he said, I'm feeling like, you know, maybe we should put off this stuff and focus. And I said, yep, God's moving, definitely. Let's hear. And then Misty came over and said, you know, I need to, there's something going on. And we said, all right, let's let the, this is how the Lord works. And he does that to sharpen us, to stretch our faith, to encourage us. And I said, you know what? I really feel like we need to wrap up today after the message and give God's people a chance to respond. It's the second time I've forewarned you. You're going to get a chance to respond today. It was a corporate gathering where, where we would unite our spiritual weapons. Verse 6, and they gathered together at Mizpah and drew water. And they, why is that significant? And they poured it out before the Lord and they fasted on that day. And they said there, we have sinned against the Lord. So what do we discover here? That it takes more than just gathering together to experience renewal or revival. It takes the example of Samuel for God to come into the picture of your life. It's not enough just to go through the motions. Okay, we're gathered here. But Samuel is teaching us here that there's got to be a response from your heart. How does your heart respond to the preaching of the Word of God, to the instruction of the Word of God? It will, it'll do one of two things. It'll either harden it or soften it. If your heart's not ripe and prepared and ready, you'll leave here more hardened and bitter and say, ah, I don't know, that's not for me. I don't know what that guy's talking about now. Blah, blah, blah. Then you'll get hard. Or if your heart's tender to the things of the Holy Spirit, your heart will become soft and pliable. And there's, there's a couple responses, or three of them I want to give you this morning. The first one is humility. Humility. Notice what they did. They drew water and they poured it out before the Lord. What in the world does that mean? I'm glad you asked. The pouring out of the water was symbolic of pouring out our hearts. The humility of humbling myself before God and saying, God, I'm hopeless and powerless without you. Some of us are too proud to admit that we're powerless without Him. 
I can fix my situation on my own. I can take care of this. I can break this addiction. I can fix this. How's that working for you? Pride has gotten in the way because there's not a spirit of humility. The first thing we need to do, this is you and me, is simply acknowledging our dependency upon God. Humility. I acknowledge God. I am 100% utterly, completely dependent upon you. The second thing is discipline. Second part of verse 6 says, and they fasted on that day. Why, why have we been talking about and why have I been teaching and sharing about that? I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but sometimes we need to hear the same thing and he, see it in Scripture over and over again before we really get it. Is it really that important? I would say it's really that important. Some things happen only through prayer and fasting. Fasting, Israel did to draw closer to God. It's why I fast. It's to draw closer to God. Not to be hungry. I don't like to be hungry. I hate being hungry. I'm hungry right now. I like food. Amen. Right? But we sacrifice or we crucify some of our fleshly carnal desires to feed our spiritual desires. We do that, and Israel did that to draw closer. Israel fasted to press in through prayer. Israel fasted to see the glory of God return. We want to see the glory of God, the power of God unleashed in your life and in His church. Israel fasted to prepare their hearts before the Lord, and they fasted to overcome every foreign and every strange God. Everything that was not the real God. And there are lots of those things out there that you and I make as idols in our life. They may not be Baal or Asheroth, but they're idols. The third thing they did was confession. We have sinned against the Lord. And this is not external lip service. It's, it's not shallow or superficial. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I acknowledge it or I said I was sorry. It's a deep repentance without reservation. It is a broken heart before the Lord that is truly confessing, God, I have sinned against you. And it's the first step in recovering strength and joy of you confessing. It's the big step to overcome sin that entangles you. We talked months ago about calling it what it is. I think we talk about this in our upcoming class that we do, um, starting point. You know, It's the desire to be pure before God. This is what repentance is. It's, it's my heart not wanting to offend God's holiness. And if our hearts have grown hardened and we can live in sin and, and rebellion against God and not be convicted by that, then we have offended the Holy Spirit and we're missing we're missing something very critical in our life. Repentance is God's way to live with power over sin. It's you acknowledging you can't, but God, with you I can. It's, it's the part of prayer and fasting in preparation for personal renewal. I hope this is kind of resonating in your hearts today. This is, this is such a critical message for this church and for you and for our body. It's a choice that I make and that you have to make. When I want the blessings of God enough and I'm hungry and I'm desperate enough, then I'll humble myself before God and care less who, who's watching me, who says what about me. You know what? I want God more than anything else. I don't care what the rest of you think or say or feel. Right? Where are you at in that sense of desperation for God in your life? The third thing I want to mention this morning is the conflict with evil. 
Will, will your road be an easy road to pursue God? <laughs> Verse 7, when the Philistines heard about Israel gathered at Mizpah, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. The Lord of the Philistines. In other words, this is what we're saying. Satan doesn't easily let go of anybody. Sin doesn't easily, sin does not easily allow you to make progress. The old, the old Adam doesn't want to let go. Your fleshly carnal sin nature man does not want to let go of sin in your life. The devil gets angry when you turn your back on everything questionable. The devil doesn't like it when you start to make a change. And it's not easy. It's not easy to, to pursue God with a reckless abandonment. But it's warfare. As a man or woman of God, it's, it's warfare. Some of you are in a war, as I said earlier, because you're, you're dying to yourself so that you can move forward with God. And that's what, that's what this walk takes. It takes you dying to yourself and flesh. And sin is a way of life. God has good news for you this morning and he has an encouraging word for your progress. And that's found in verse seven, uh, 7b. How did Israel respond when the enemy came in like a flood? And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. All right, how is that encouraging? Well, there are two, basically there are two options that you face or that you have when you're facing a battle. And we see, number one, there is fear. What does fear do? It paralyzes you and it backs you up. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, this is too... I'm not ready for this. You're not. But again, go back to when you just humble yourself before the Lord and you acknowledge that you can't, you release the freedom of His Holy Spirit to flow through you and to empower you. Power from on high. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We had a great discussion about this in our partners class this morning. Uh, I'll share more about that maybe next week. The second thing that we have is the, the option of fear. Fear paralyzes us, backs us for, uh, up. Sorry, the second one is faith. Faith motivates us and moves us forward. Do you live in fear or do you live in faith? Do you really believe what God said is true and that he's with you? And he can get you through it. And, and yeah, it's a battle. Yeah, it'll be hard. Are you going to shy away from that because it's going to be tough and there's going to be a battle to face? Or are you going to see God bring about tremendous victory in your life? Number four, the conquest of the Lord. What follows people who truly believe God answers prayer? I'll tell you what follows them is like what Misty shared a minute ago with her testimony right here. You have the faith to believe. And you tell your doctors, you know what? God's going to remove this cyst. God's going to do... And listen, I'm not against doctors, and I believe in, in God's given us the doctors. He's given us modern-day medication. I'm not against or preaching against all that. But sometimes the Holy Spirit is speaking in you, and you have to speak those words in truth and believe and have faith to believe. This is what Samuel did. What follows those who truly believe God answers prayer? In verse 9, Samuel, look at your Bible, cried unto the Lord... In verse 10, the battle drew near to Israel. That's us, the body. Verse 11, the Philistines were beaten, hands down. Verse 13, the enemy was subdued. Verse 14, an awesome revelation to you and I. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. 
The interesting thing about Israel, and we've been there, it's been destroyed and built up and destroyed and built up and destroyed and built up many, many times. Why? Because they did then what people do now. Oh, God, I'm hungry for you. I'm going to live for you and submit to you. Oh, I'm going to go back to my carnal sinful ways. Destruction. Oh, God, we need you in our life. Help us to live for you. Victory. God rebuilds. What do they do? They go back to their human nature. Boom, 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 boom. What does it lead to? The city's destroyed. Israel's destroyed. Why don't we get it? When we're living for God, it's hard, but the victories are won. Go back to uh, Eleazar and Jehoshabim in the middle of a barley field. Two guys against an army of 800 and two guys slew down an entire army. Why? Because God was for them. Are the odds against you in this world? You better believe they're against you. But when God is for you, no one can stand against you. The victory will be won through faith and believing that God is going to win the battles. That was kind of a halfway clap, but I'm, I'm thankful that God... Because <laughs> some of you are like, yeah, praise the Lord, I believe it. I kind of don't believe it, I'm not sure. <laughs> hey, let's just be real about it. Do we really believe it or not? What did the Israelites do when the enemy tried to hinder their progress? This is what they did. Look at verse 8. Samuel, pray for us. What do we discover here? That your best friends in the world are people who know how to pray and touch God. You discover that your greatest help will come from friends who believe in truly seeking God. Confidence was born in Israel because Samuel knew how to pray. And this is what he taught the people. What happened after they prayed and fasted? The powers of evil were broken and Israel was freed from sin. Verse 14, what was stolen by the enemy was restored by God. Worship team, would you come? While they're taking their place, don't lose focus here. Listen, I know what time it is and so do you. And I don't really care this morning. What, this is what I care about. This is what I care about. I care that you have an opportunity to respond to the Lord today. So stay focused. And let me, let me share these closing thoughts. These are really important. Israel regained the city that had been taken by sin. Israel recovered what had been forfeited or given up. Israel was restored to their rightful inheritance. What was that inheritance? Listen, what is, what is here for you? Pay attention. A clear conscience. Power in your prayers. Fasting that prevails. Victory over every evil and sinful thing in your life. Freedom from Philistine dominion. Verse 12. I've got this up on the screen, I believe. Then Samuel took a stone and he set it between Mizpah and Shen. And he called the name of it Ebenezer. Saying, here hath the Lord helped us. The word Ebenezer means the Lord has helped us. Here's a rock this morning. It's just a small pebble that I picked up this morning for you. Here. Listen. Here. Here at the altar where you submit, where you surrender, where you relinquish 
control of your life and you say yes to God. Here hath the Lord helped me. Here hath my faith been built. Here do I believe that there is victory over every besetting sin. Here do I believe that chains are broken and they fall. Here do I believe that greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. Here is a place I'm going to mark in my life today and from this day forward. I'm not going to go back. Here's the place. Here's the place to remind us what the Lord has done, to remind us that God still does today what he did then for Samuel. As we'll humble ourselves and pray and seek his faith, it's to seek his face, it's to remind you and I what faith can accomplish. It's not about going to church. It's about being the church. It's about being a man or woman of faith that believes that God can do what he says he'll do. Why does God want to remind us of Ebenezer this morning? So that faith will fill your hearts so that you can believe now like Samuel did then. What mountains do you need moved in your life and why is faith so important? I went back to my office and I jotted these things down this morning. So listen with your heart. I hope that, you know, this 40 days has been... a time of prayer evangelism, serving evangelism, and blessing evangelism. It's been all what it's all about. But here, here I believe is what the Lord is saying today. Some, some of you need your faith restored today. Some of you need to respond today with humility, with confession, and with a greater degree of discipline in your hearts. Some of you need to simply take action today. Some of you have let fear paralyze you and you need to allow faith to move you today. Some of you need to make a choice today to humble yourself before God and care less who's watching because you're desperate for the presence of God in your life. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? We're not going to have an official closing time today. I'm going to say, if any of those are you, as we begin to worship, you're free to go. I know that there's lunch and fellowship and all that, but I'm going to ask you to take your fellowship out in the lobby. If any of those that I just read are you, you come stake your claim at the altar. Meet with the Holy Spirit today. You know, maybe this is new to you. What happens down there? What's good? Nothing weird. It's just meeting with God. It's allowing you.